0: Do you know a woman who is driving positive change, growth, or innovation in her organization or community? The second annual Success Women of Influence Awards are underway, so whether a friend, a family member, or peer, give the recognition she deserves. The Success Women of Influence Awards honor, celebrate, and empower the extraordinary women whose contributions have impacted their industries and their community and the personal and professional lives of those in their world. Visit success.com slash W-O-I to nominate the women of influence in your life today. So when I think about some of the people out there who are thinking about some of the really, really difficult decisions that they have to make, like, again, I just emphasize that there's no rosy side to it. Like it's ugly. I remember when I was in the depths of paying down debt. And I'm telling you, like, it was a full-scale assault. I had to change where I decided to shop. I I didn't know what the phrase no-spend challenges were, but, like, my life was a no-spend challenge. Like, it was literally, (laughs) I'm challenging myself to go to work and get back without spending a single dollar. Like, no Starbucks, no nothing. Like, this is my challenge to myself. I didn't realize later on that that was a whole thing that people would do.
1: Welcome to the Rich and Regular Podcast presented by Success, where we explore life at the intersection of money. I'm Kirsten. And I'm Julian.
0: And today we're talking about whether it makes sense to invest while you're paying down your student loans. Now, student loans are starting back up this month, and it's left a lot of people in a pickle about trying to find that balance between paying them off or continuing to invest. So we're going to share the way that we think about it, and hopefully we can help you guys clarify any misconceptions or answer any questions you guys may have.
1: But first, please rate and review the Rich and Regular podcast wherever you listen to the show. And our latest newsletter is hitting inboxes this Wednesday. And in it, we're talking about my birthday. <laughs> I mean, That's so ta- <laughs> important. <laughs> there's some other stuff in there too, obviously, but celebrating my lunar return is the most important part. So we'll be talking about that. If you're not subscribed, head to richandregular.com slash mail. That's richandregular.com slash mail to join our mailing list. All right. So the big question we're trying to answer today is whether you should invest while you're paying off debt. Mm -hmm. And in this case, we're talking about non-mortgage debt. You mentioned student loans in the intro, but we're going to talk about more than just student loans So as you all know, the Supreme Court killed Joe Biden's, President Biden's student loan forgiveness plan. And with that, the moratorium on repayments and interest for 44 million Americans is actually ending this time. Like for real. For for real. 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 (laughs) Yeah. I was thinking about that the other day, but it's been almost. Three and a half years, almost 40 months since the moratorium started. And if you remember, initially, it was just a COVID relief measure, but it kept getting extended again and again, and kind of always at the ninth hour, last minute. And so a lot of people just kind of kept hope alive like Jesse taught them (laughs) and didn't actively make payments. So now they're stuck with what feels like a new bill and they're naturally disappointed at our government's failure to keep its promises. Yeah. And
0: and I can empathize with that. I mean, I think it is definitely valid to feel frustrated, uh, to feel defeated, you know, especially if you've got six figures worth of debt and you're in a line of work that does not really put you in a position to earn that kind of money, to allow you to pay that off in a comfortable way, right? So I can totally get that. I think even if it's not student loans, just debt in general, to your point, like student loans is obviously the big, giant, ugly elephant in the room, but like credit card debt is also really high these days. Auto loan debt is really high these days. And so the combination of all of those things can really feel overwhelming. And I think a lot of those emotions behind debt as a whole is part of the reason why it's been so fiercely debated in the personal finance community. And I think a lot of our listeners may not necessarily be privy to that. We're definitely in the middle of it and there are some big voices like the Dave Ramsey's of the world who believe that absolutely not you should not be investing at all when you have debt like that's something that comes after debt and that just becomes an entire hot button issue. But then you've got people like us. I think the- Reasonable re- people. The rich and reasonable.
1: <laughs> rich and reasonable. The rich <laughs> and reasonable
0: people among us who I think feel like, well, it just kind of depends, right? And we're willing to talk that out. We're willing to embrace some of the things that naturally happen in our lives. And so, yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about that. But I will also say this, like, and, and I'm, not, I'm just going to be honest here because I, I reflect back on when we were writing our book and there was a particular line and there may have been several- Where if I'm just being honest, like I was poking and I wrote it, I'm claiming it. I wrote that line. He wrote it. And I was poking the bear a little bit, throwing shade, if you will, at like the endless sense of hopelessness that I think a lot of people have when it comes to the promises that politicians and our government makes. And the reason why I said that was not to be mean or to like pick on people is because I'm old enough. I'm like seasoned enough. I've been around the block long enough to have had my heart broken time and time again. And so, no, this wasn't me lashing out. It was me saying, hey, as someone who's a little further along, I'm here to tell you that I've been there. I've had people come in and make these big promises, only to realize that those were just like campaign trail talking points and they did not go through. And they probably never set a chance of going through anyway. So it's probably best that you, Think about tackling your student debt in a way that puts you at the center of it and not Give all of your power to somebody that you've never met that's promising that they're going to change your life overnight through some type of political ad.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think even beyond student loan debt, I feel like sometimes these debates feel like we've been handed this existential multiple choice question where all of the answers are equally tempting, right? You can either invest and take advantage of compounding interest over a longer period of time or you can double down, pay down the loan and enjoy all of the perks of debt freedom. Yeah. Both of those sound great. It's like choosing between trying to get a head start on the day or hitting the snooze button on your alarm clock, right? Both of them are very, very tempting. You're a snoozer. For like, I am a snoozer for the record. She's got like four <laughs> but sometimes, alarms. It's like, <laughs> it's
0: the first wake up, And then I'm going to wake up after the 4th.
1: But sometimes I'd be wanting to get a head start on the day. Like sometimes it feels good to, you know, jump out and be productive, but I am definitely a snoozer. (laughs) But before we jump in, I just want to cut to the chase on where we stand. One is our belief is that you should treat debt like an emergency, but we don't believe that it is a moral failing. It does not mean that you are bad because you have debt. Two. We definitely believe there's a balance to be had. You don't actually have to pick one or the other. If you listen to this podcast regularly, then you know that we generally think that one size fits all financial advice is a very narrow philosophy. And so, you know, we'll we'll position the two arguments against each other, but you don't have to pick one. You right. can, really you can, are you in a position right.
0: where it's, it's either or, choice. yeah, like that's just for people like us or our friends, our peers, if you will, that are creating content.
1: Yeah. At the end of the day, your responsibility and your discipline levels are going to be what makes a strategy a winner or not. So while we're here to share our thoughts and some tips, you're going to have to run it through the filter of where you are on your own journey to figure out which one is right for you.
0: Okay. So let's just rip the bandaid off. And first things first, I think you should absolutely be investing if your company offers an employee match on your 401k or their retirement program, even if you have high interest debt and or student loans. And the reason for that, well, there are a couple, but the first one that I would say is that there is a 100% return on your investment when you do that. So some people call it free money. I don't necessarily like to think of it that way. I prefer looking at it more so as a part of your total compensation. It's one that you have to opt into. So yes, is a 100% return when you decide to opt into an employee-sponsored retirement plan like a 401k or a TSP or whatever kind of program that you have with your particular employer. It is considered, in my opinion, a part of your salary that they've held back until you decide that you want to opt into it. Another reason Why I think we should be investing is that a 401k is a great account that balances both your short term and your long term needs. It lowers your taxable income for the year in which you are making contributions. And starting in 2024, you can actually withdraw up to $1,000 for hardships without paying the stubborn, ugly 10% penalty fee. So it can serve as a bit of a secondary emergency fund that prevents you from going further into debt if you absolutely had to tap into that. But I think there are also some psychological benefits, I think, by just starting, even if you're just deciding to start small. So you may not necessarily be able to max out that program, but I'd like to think of it as an opportunity for you to kind of build that muscle or build that muscle memory through investing. And you have the benefit of learning from that experience. If you decide that you're just going to focus primarily or strictly on paying down debt, you kind of lose out on that opportunity to learn those experiences. So I think if you decide to do just a little bit, even if it's just a tiny little trickle, 1%, right? That's enough for you to look back at something and to have something, especially if it's a good bull market, you've got something to look back on and be proud of in addition to maybe the debt that you've paid off.
1: Yeah, I agree. I'm going to double click on building that habit or that muscle from contributing on a regular basis. I think because you're not supposed to touch that money for several decades, people don't tend to think about it often. They don't think of it as paying themselves first because it just comes off the top of their paycheck. And they certainly don't see themselves as investors because the gains don't hit their checking account at the same frequency as their paychecks, but it all counts. Every single dollar that you're putting to work through the act of investing matters. And the dollars that your company gives you on top of that matter even more. So yes, if you have a match, go grab it. And to Julian's point, if you can't get the whole thing, let's say your company matches up to 4% and you're not able to contribute the full 4% yet, then just start with 1% and inch that number up as you go and chip away at your debt. But start somewhere. Do not give up that match. Do not give up part of your salary. All right. Next up, I know we said we talk about student loans, and we're going to get into that. But first, I want to touch on high interest credit card debt because the Federal Reserve just announced that American credit card debt levels have surpassed one trillion dollars, which is a new record for us.
0: Congratulations!
1: I know. Do we get a re- award card. for that well, or something? The credit card companies get a reward. Yeah, they and we do. get reward points. They do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. In all seriousness, if you have high interest credit card debt you should prioritize paying that off before investing with the exception of that company match. Go ahead and get that. But other than that, you need to prioritize paying off your credit card debt. And here's why. Unless you're playing with speculative assets or engaging in some sort of risky short-term trading, it's really unlikely that the returns you're gonna get from the stock market are going to outpace the interest that you are accumulating on those cards. It's not impossible but it is unlikely that your returns are gonna outpace the interest. Very similar to the employee match, paying off a credit card is kind of like getting a guaranteed return equal to the interest rate that you've saved. So right now, the average interest rate on a credit card is 20.53%, which, by the way, is almost a record high. That's insane. Yeah, that's... That's That's insane. I said that, like, cheerfully, but it's a record high. That is insane. 20.53%. Once you pay off that balance, you are guaranteed to save yourself 20%, which in a way is the equivalent of making a 20% return. I was
0: going to say it's like a 20% raise right, right there, right? And like we've always said, I think the easiest way to get a raise is not just to keep on asking for a raise, it's to give yourself a raise. Put yourself in that position of power by paying down that debt. And that's one of the easiest and fastest ways I think a lot of people can give themselves more money at the end of the month. Now, paying down high interest debt also gives you a stable foundation to invest without the weight of other obligations. And so when I think about some of the people out there who are thinking about some of the really, really difficult decisions that they have to make, like, again, I just emphasize that there's no rosy side to it. Like it's ugly. I remember when I was in the depths of paying down debt. And I'm telling you, like it was a full scale assault. I had to change where I decided to shop. I I didn't know what the phrase no spend challenges were, but like my life was a no spend challenge. Like it was literally, (laughs) I'm challenging myself to go to work and get back without spending a single dollar, like no Starbucks, no nothing. Like this is my challenge to myself. I didn't realize later on that that was a whole thing that people would do. But between that, like embracing practices like minimalism, like making those difficult decisions about where you want to take your vacation or if you're going to even take a vacation at all, like looking at eating out, like "Eh, maybe like we're going to eat in. Like all of that stuff is on the table when you're in debt payoff mode. And I think that that's something that a lot of people try to find like other ways. And it's like, sometimes it just is what it is. Like you're in this period, it's difficult. It's not necessarily sexy. But if you go through that process, it makes you stronger. It helps you build that foundation so that when you come out of it, you're kind of like really, really free and you've yeah. got the opportunity to blossom and to shine and to grow. And so ignoring it sort of cheats yourself of that opportunity so that when you do come into more money, now you can't even take really great advantage of it because you still have this debt that you've been deferring or kicking down the line.
1: Yeah, I, I you you are absolutely right. We ain't gonna lie to you. Them years, and it was five solid years of paying down those debt. That debt dogs. was, <laughs> it was a, a lot, lot of hot, hot dogs. dogs.
0: <laughs> a lot of peanut butter and jelly. <laughs>
1: Yeah, but it was a lot of just like imagining life after it, and we actually did a podcast on life after debt. If you are interested in and in what that feels like, but you're absolutely right. It's I'm not going to lie to y'all and say it's fun and like the no spend challenges make it you know engaging. No, it's it's hard, but it is absolutely worth it at the end of the line. All right, let's talk about people with student loans, because if you have student loans, the rule of thumb is a little different for you based on the terms of the loan. Now, typically experts will say, if your interest on your student loans is under 5%, you can safely assume that you're not leaving any money on the table by investing since the average market return is 7%. But if after
0: you factor in inflation,
1: after you factor in inflation, correct. The average market return has been somewhere around nine and 10 percent, but we take it down to seven to account for inflation and volatility. But if your student loan interest rate is above 7 percent, experts tend to say that you should prioritize paying it off because you're at that moment where you might incur more interest than you make in the market which begs the question, how do I find out what my student loan interest rate is? I am surprised at how common this question is, but I'm also not surprised because a lot of people don't read the paperwork behind their loans. They get the bill. They assume that, you know, I have the money in my checking account and then they just pay it without understanding what the terms of that loan is. So with federal loans, the interest rate is fixed and it's the same for all borrowers. So for example undergrad students who are looking to take out loans for the 2023-24 school year have a five and a half percent rate effective through June of next year, June of 2024, which is up from 4.99 percent last year. And grad student rates are higher than that. So I don't, I don't remember what the grad student rates are, but they're higher than 5.5% for the 2023-2024 school year. So that's federal loans. Now, private loan companies are actually allowed to set their own interest rates, which may be higher or lower than the federal loans and can be fixed or variable depending on the credit worthiness of the borrower. So if you have a private loan, most people have a federal loan, but if you happen to have a private loan, check that individual loan provider's documents to determine what your interest rate is. Now, I want to insert a quick PSA because if you have federal loans and you haven't been making payments during the moratorium, several of the companies that used to manage the debt on behalf of the government have actually stopped doing so during the pause. So in other words, they sold your debt to another provider. And about roughly 40% of federal loan holders will be paying somebody different this time around Assuming that they haven't been making payments. Yeah. So if this is you, you should have gotten a letter notifying you. So, like when Navient got out of the student loan business, they sent letters to people that was back in 2021. But there are several others that have now stopped processing these loans. If you're unsure, you can check on studentaid.gov. But I'm saying all this because you need to know who your provider is in order to access the terms of the loans. So again, if you haven't been making payments, verify who your servicer is. If it has changed, go ahead and take care of all of the administrative stuff, like setting up your new online account, updating your contact info, and setting up your auto payments if that's what you want to do, if that's your plan to pay it off. Then look for your interest rate and your APR while you're in there.
0: They're typically pretty good with creating like redirects. And so even if for a while, let's say one company sells your loan to another company you can still go to that website but they will very quickly like just yeah. redirect you like not us no somewhere more somewhere else so if you see that happen don't freak out don't think that there's something wrong with your computer right because i remember thinking like wait, who is this like, right that's not is who i have scam? my account with yeah like, it's kind of normal and to your point like maybe you've missed the mail or maybe you thought it was junk mail or something like that so it's pretty common unfortunately but if that happens don't be alarmed just kind of Trust the process, go through it. That way you can access the information that you're looking for. Now, I'm glad Kirsten mentioned APRs, which stands for annual percentage rates, because when it comes to credit cards, your APR and your interest rate are usually the same, which is why people tend to use the terms interchangeably. But with student loans, they're different. So this is more so for people who are taking out new loans. But this may be helpful context for those with older loans. You're going to have to want to look at APR to get a more comprehensive or thorough view of what you're actually paying. So the APR will tell you the total cost of the loans, including interest, plus fees like the origination fee. And if you're unfamiliar with origination fees, it's because you've never had a mortgage or like a personal loan because they tend to throw those in there. But they're basically a processing fee, if you will. It's something that the bank charges you, the borrower, to cover the costs associated with underwriting and approving your loan application. So when they incur expenses for things like credit checks, and administrative work, they don't just pay that themselves. They just pass that on to you as a borrower in the form of what they call this origination fee. Now, they're typically calculated as a percentage of the total loan amount, and it's usually deducted upfront from the loan amount. So if you applied for, let's say, a $10,000 loan with a 2% origination fee, you can expect to pay $200 upfront, and then you would receive $9,800 in your account. Now, Keep in mind, you're still borrowing $10,000 and you will still owe them $10,000, even though you actually received like a little bit less than that. That's just sort of the game that they play. That's the game. But you want to keep in mind that that 2% needs to be factored into your calculations.
1: Yeah. And it's tricky because federal student loans publish the interest rates, but not the APRs. So whenever you see that the headline interest rate is five and a half percent for undergrad students, just know that's not the total cost. There's a little over one percent. I think it's point. 0.57% of an origination fee for direct subsidized and unsubsidized and 4.228% for direct plus which are the unsubsidized loans for parents and graduate professional students. So to your point it matters. It does. And assuming that new undergrads are getting federal loans it puts them right at that right under that 7% where the guidance is to prioritize paying down the loans over investing. And so if you're, you know, if you're taking out grad school loans, it actually puts you way over that 7% threshold, which honestly just makes me sad. And it explains why so many young people are chasing high risk, quote unquote, investments because they need more than 7% of a return to actually make it make sense while they're paying down their debt. What it does, though, is it increases the risk in your investments. And if you end up on the other side of the investment where you're losing money, even if it's just on paper, it makes you less likely to want to invest again.
0: I think you're 100 percent correct. I also think having had these conversations with people in the past, that that number oftentimes becomes one of the earliest memories, a foundational memory, if you will, when it comes to interest rates, and so when you start to talk to them about investing, and you say things like "oh, a seven percent return," they flip. It they, 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 yeah, that, they're that's like, nothing. "What's that? that?" That's not going to earn me anything, right? Like, I need at least double, right? right? Even though in our world, in our time, I feel like I'm aging myself. When somebody is promising you double digit returns, like that's actually a red flag. Right, you should actually be thinking about that as, oh, well. well, that sounds a little odd because historically, that's been really, really difficult to achieve. All that to say, like, these are the kinds of details that you want to have. And this is part of the reason why we're having this conversation. So hopefully you see yourself in this story. And if you do, hopefully we're steering you towards making a better decision with your money. This seems like a good time to take a quick break. We will be right back. Are you ready to supercharge your life and get access to more opportunities than you've ever dreamed of? Then join me, James Whitaker, in the Win the Day Accelerator Presented by Success, this entire eight-part program has been created to help you activate your winning life once and for all. You'll gain clarity on your goals and purpose, you'll learn how to quickly overcome challenges, and you'll get proven tips and frameworks that will deliver you big results fast in all areas of your life. So if you're ready to win, join me in the Win the Day Accelerator. To sign up, visit success.com slash WTD.
1: Okay, I don't want to end this on a doom and gloom note. So I want to talk about the few ways that you can shave some time off of your payment schedule. And one of the most reliable ways is to actually pay your loans by weekly instead of monthly. So you want to check with your lender first to see if their system will accommodate multiple auto payments in a month. Some of them default to only one auto payment. And so the other one has to be made manually. But either way, they should allow partial payments. So what you basically want to do is divide your monthly payment in half and pay that amount every two weeks. If your monthly payment is $600, you would make biweekly payments of $300. And you want to make sure that both biweekly payments hit before the monthly due date to avoid any penalties, right? Now, the reason this works is a little counterintuitive, but it basically boils down to the frequency. Whenever you pay every other week, you're effectively making an extra payment a year, which adds up. So if you apply a biweekly payment schedule to a 10-year loan, which is what most student loans are, they're 10-year loans, you'll actually be done in nine years, assuming your payments are being allocated to pay off the principal or the loan balance and not being applied to future payments, which you can tell your lender to do. You can't tell your lender to apply this only to the interest, but you can tell them to make sure that it is being applied to the current payment against the principal and not future payments.
0: Yeah, that reminds me of when we were paying off our mortgage, uh, or paid it off on your birthday. What was that 2017? Mm-hmm. Seemed like a, gosh, that seemed like so long ago, but that was exactly the process that we took. As soon as that money came in on Thursday, it was gone by Friday. That's right. And I think to your point, like, and I find myself like adding these psychological layers to it, but there's something to that as well, because it helps to create a discipline. It helps you create a much more a sense of mindfulness of where your money is going in and how much is going out. Like you may not necessarily be able to send the same amount every two weeks, but you're sending something. And we always try to use the metaphor of like chopping it down with a tree, right? So it's always great to have big income. Maybe it's too high incomes. That's like a big old ax. You can use that ax every single time you get a payment to chop down and to chop down and to get rid of that debt. Some of us don't have an ax. We may have like a little Swiss army knife and that's okay. You can still carve off something, right? That's so you're right. not chopping, but you're carving and you're carving. And then when you do get that axe, you do get that big promotion or you do get that big bonus or it's a tax refund or whatever it is, then you can get a nice big healthy swing and make that progress. And again, even if you're not knocking it down that day, it helps and it matters to your point. Those little notches and scratches and carve outs, it helps so that you can expedite or shorten that payoff period. And then you can get back to living and doing other things. Now, there are a couple of other things that you can do, and some of them you've probably heard of, like making extra payments, which we just talked about, throwing windfall money, like company bonuses or like refinancing or maybe consolidating your loans. But there are two other things that I want to leave you with. The first is a grace period. So give yourself some grace. The Biden administration has instituted a 12-month on-ramp period that allows borrowers to miss or make late payments on their loans without being considered delinquent or getting reported to credit agencies until the end of September 2024. That's a little bit of the trade-off here, right? So they're saying, hey, we're not going to wipe this stuff away, but we are going to give you a little bit of a grace period, a little
1: coasting period, if you will, right? And this is for student loans only. For this student is not, loans only. This is not this all is not for your, credit all cards. your debt,
0: right? Yeah. Just student loans. Now keep in mind that even though they are granting people grace periods, that interest is still accruing in the background. Okay. So you don't want to just keep on submitting requests and getting approved for those grace periods. You want to use that strategically because interest is still accruing. And as a result, that balance is getting larger in the background. But I want to make sure that I leave you with a bit of a resource. And I would say this is hands down one of our favorite resources to help student loan borrowers think through their debt payoff and certainly put themselves in position to keep as much of their money as possible. And it is coming from some people that I flat out would say are experts in their field. We met them. We know them personally. I will also say that this is not sponsored. They don't even know that yeah. we're making them. You probably
1: should have recommended. shot of an email. <laughs> Maybe we'll send
0: them an email or something <laughs> like that. But the resource is Student Loan Planner and it's run by our friend Travis. We met Travis, uh, Travis Hornsby in Cincinnati, at the economy conference a couple of years ago, met him and a few other people that he was with. And it was such a great experience. And he was so incredibly knowledgeable about student loans. Like I'd never met anyone that knew everything that could possibly be to know about student loans better than Travis. And what was interesting is that we actually met him during the thick of the pandemic and it was one of those time periods, uh, actually it was like a few days before it was officially announced and we were around hundreds of people and we didn't know that until afterwards. But even while it was still rumblings in the news, he was like, oh, this is not my first time around. He spend some time and dealt Yeah, with he's all like, this isn't my pandemics.
1: first pandemic He because he remembers the bird flu. He actually had. He'd actually had it. Bird flu. And so he had like a different kind of survival kit he was like, in oh, his yeah, mind. This is serious. So here's <laughs> what like, we yeah, do, I know how to quarantine. I know what you should do when you leave here. Yeah. yeah.
0: But anyway, <laughs> that's not why you should follow up with Travis that Student Loan Planner. I'm just saying that's what happened when we first met him. And again, this is not something that he knows we're even doing, but he has a strong track record. He's super passionate, believe it or not, about student loans. He's helped tens of thousands of people get rid of hundreds of millions of dollars of debt. And their philosophy in a nutshell is so simple. And that's what I love. He basically says there are two ways to handle student loans. One is what we've been saying pay it off as fast as possible, and two, paid off as little as possible and use every trick in the book to maximize forgiveness, right? So he helps you navigate the mess and the complicated labyrinth that is student loan debt and all the, the changing things over time, right? So if you're ever confused, I can't think of a better person to recommend than Travis at Student Loan Planner. So check those guys out at, I would imagine, studentloanplanner.com, I'm yep. assuming, but maybe <laughs> maybe not. But yeah. just Google Student Loan Planner and I'm pretty sure that they'll come up.
1: And tell Travis we said hi. Tell
0: Travis, Julian. <laughs> and Kirsten sent you. All right.
1: So, final thoughts. Final thoughts. All right. My final thought is: I know a lot of people in this situation feel a mix of frustration and disappointment, but I just want to remind you that you're not alone, and this inflection point in your life doesn't define your financial future. This is literally just a chapter; it's not the whole story. And the way to manage it is to take a deep breath embrace reality and get scrappy because of all the options that you have in front of you whether it's side hustling or buckling down on a budget or selling your house whatever it is doing nothing is going to be the most expensive one yeah so take all of those emotions which again are completely valid take all of those emotions acknowledge them and then put that energy into revisiting your budget making adjustments where they're needed and then recommitting to your goals whatever that looks like for you
0: yeah I like that. I had some thoughts in mind, but I'm going to change it up at the 23rd hour. And my thoughts are this. I would imagine most of the people that listen to this podcast are grown folks. These are adults. And this is not me like prepping you for like a spanking or anything like that. I'm just saying, I know we're talking to adults, people who've been through some things. And I would imagine most of us have a pretty solid understanding of how hard life could be if you were an adult and you did not have any credit history right? Like it's hard. You know, all of the complications that that could create for you. Even if we think about our social lives and if you're in your thirties or your forties and you haven't dated, you haven't gone out with people and now you're trying to build a relationship with someone in your thirties and your forties, you've missed out on a long set of time that might have given you some experiences and things that you can then use to make better decisions now in your big age. And so the question is whether or not you should be paying down debt, or investing, I think you owe it to yourself to do both. Because if nothing else, even if it's just one date, even if it's just one credit card, even if it's just one tiny little automated roundup app that you're using, you are gaining valuable experience that is teaching you what happens to money when you invest it, and whether it's a good news at the end of that ten-year period or however long it takes, and you've got more money at the end, or it's bad news, you're now coming out of that with that experience that you can use and help yourself to grow from there. And so don't cheat yourself from that opportunity just because you have debt. It's actually a really important part of your investing learning experience. And so that's our thought on it, or at least that's my thoughts on it. And hopefully, um, you know, it helps you guys make some different decisions.
1: All right. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of the Rich and Regular Podcast presented by Success. You know, the president may not have been able to do it, but if you like what you heard and haven't left us a five-star rating review yet, You're forgiven. Get it? Well I I made you wait for it. (laughs) You're forgiven, but we'd appreciate if you took a few minutes to review on your favorite podcast platform. We will see y'all next week.